0: Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. If you need to pull down the notes, pull down your notes tonight. I want you to take some good notes this evening. Some of you who are teachers, some of you are teachers to be, some of you are trying to understand the Bible. There's some good doctrinal things you're going to learn on this. You're going through discipleship. You probably want to take some notes tonight. It will help you to grow in your faith and to stretch you a little bit there for the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I encourage you, when you go through chapter 20, in fact, all of Revelation, underline that phrase every time John says, and I saw. And I want you just to mull mull that for just a minute. What did he see? I mean, he saw some great things that God gave him. But notice what he says here. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth And the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, and that's plural. What books are these? And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, this evening... <clears throat> Sundays go by so quickly. We're up very early, excited about the Lord's Day. And it seems like Sunday, Sunday morning services are like what we saw in Psalms 39.5. It's like a hand breath. <clears throat> We've had adult growth groups in English who have met. This afternoon, the Lord, it's hard to imagine it's 520, 525, we're already in the evening service. This evening we're looking at what I've entitled Judgment Day. The most feared judgment of all the judgments found in the Bible <clears throat> This is the final judgment. I pray this evening, God, only as you can in a holy way. Speak through me. I pray for the anointing of the Spirit of God. David David said in Psalms 92.10, My horn shall be uh, exalted like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to open the prison doors to them that are bound, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Father, I pray for great liberty because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And thank God the Spirit of God lives in every heart of every person who's saved. I need great liberty tonight. I pray that you bind Satan. The Bible says he's the prince of the power of the air. And I know tonight he's going to try to disrupt our live stream because he's the prince of the power of the air. He's going to try to use an energy shortage and I pray tonight there'd be no power outages while I'm preaching and I pray this evening that there'd be no power shortage and I pray tonight that we'd have had a we would not have an internet disconnection and I pray that people's bandwidth on their own internet uh, uh, whatever divide whatever they're using for their internet provider would not fail them and I pray that tonight that Lord there'd be no disruption and I pray this evening that God there'd be no distractions and I pray this night that the that the heat wave we're going through and all of that stuff would not be a hindrance to distraction and, and I pray that even right now, that perhaps there's some people that just decided they were not going to watch service, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would bother their conscience and give them no peace, and that they would tune in tonight and either through Facebook or live stream, and they would watch the service of God. And I pray this evening, as I asked this morning, that God, you let me preach as a dying man, not just to living people, but to dying people. Father, stir our faith this evening. There's just some things about the Bible that we know that are on one extreme that are encouraging to our hearts. And Lord, they lift our soul. But there are other things where the word of God needs to be a fire that burns God through the chafe. And burns through areas that are dry. And areas that were perhaps that once we're consumed with the fire of God, we need that fire again. And Lord, where there's some areas, some hearts that have become hardened and, and, and very, very just, um, uh, just becoming very petrified by things, I pray this evening that God, that, that your, your word would be that mighty hammer that would break it to pieces. I pray for every heart that you'd break up the fallow ground. And I pray the soil of every heart would be good soil upon which the precious, uh, incorruptible seed of your word will embed itself. And I pray for it to take deep root downwards and bear fruit upwards. pray that your word would be a sword cutting through the sheath of hardness of our heart. Cut away, Lord, I pray. Just like Yehud, when he faced old King Eglon, he thrust that mini-sword deep within until the dirt came out. Thrust it in tonight. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and our freedom to meet. And just even in right now, we pray for an opportunity, Lord, for getting our church back to in-person services and we pray right now for preachers in California who are fighting the battle, they're leading the way and as God you have led them, they're taking perhaps a much stronger position right now on things that regardless of how the laws are construed and, and we pray for them that God you'll vindicate them in what they're doing and validate their decision and, and through this we pray right across the state of California that we pray for a great wave of, of great great liberty you'll give. We just want to acknowledge right now as we consider all the safety precautions we're doing, we want to acknowledge right now COVID-19 is not greater than you. And it doesn't matter, Lord, whatever government type of laws and things we pass. We want to abide by them for safety purposes. and We don't want anybody in our congregation contracting COVID-19. We don't want anybody getting sick. At the same time, we realize, Lord, we've got to get past being paralyzed for five months in things we used to do and, and, and being concerned about all these different things. And God, I pray you help us tonight that, that paranoia would be crucified and that Jesus Christ would be exalted. The Father, help me tonight as we look at exactly what this, what this passage of Scripture is saying this evening, that it will change our hearts. Open our eyes this evening to behold wondrous things out of thy law. We'll praise and thank you tonight for all that you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Boy, in our last two studies here from Revelation chapter 20, we've gone from the marriage supper of the Lamb to the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ, our Savior, comes. You have to remember, we get, that, we get to that portion of Revelation where the, there's that last time an angel goes out. It's not, it's not God's people. God actually sends an angel, which is something he doesn't do uh, in our church age because he has us, the local New Testament church, he sends an angel down to proclaim the everlasting gospel. We had our West Contra Costa Bible study the other night, and Brother Justin Lunes, was speaking there, and he brought a great message on, on, uh, from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who should believe a report? Great, great thoughts out of that. And he made this statement about, about that reminded me of what I had preached on just a few weeks ago about that there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes. I think there's this 30 minute interlude that was almost a, the, the, the final phase of, of, of God's grace, grace opportunity of getting saved because from that point on, there's no more opportunity of getting saved. I mean, basically, God, God's wrath is being poured out in, in an incredible way upon planet Earth. And we get to the battle of Armageddon and there's this battle, unlike any battle that's ever been fought on planet Earth. Jesus is on his white horse He opens his mouth, which is represented by the sword of his word. And everyone, and you have to imagine, I mean, right now, if you think it's bad now, imagine the tribulation, every blasphemous thing they're going to say about our lovely Savior. Every wicked thing that will be said about Jesus. I mean, it's just, it's the, 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 the resentment and hostility towards our Lord Jesus Christ, who's on his throne. During that tribulation period, it's going to be awful. The Bible describes he just speaks with his mouth and he slays them and the blood will flow. The birds of the earth will descend and will feast on all those billions of bodies, literally. The nations are judged. The, The Antichrist, the beast, And the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. We have that very first mention there. They're the first inhabitants of the lake of fire. A liquid fire of all eternity. The millennium comes into play. Wonderful time. We saw that last week. Unprecedented peace. Unprecedented prosperity. When it starts, believers who were faithful to the Lord will be assigned cities and places that they will be a co region with Jesus Christ over. And the Bible tells in First Corinthians chapter 6 that we're going to judge the angels. I don't even know how that, you know, when I think about it, I believe those are the fallen angels. We're going to judge those angels. The beast and Antichrist have been judged. The nations against Christ have been judged. The fallen angels have been judged. We get to the end of the millennium. Satan's let loose for a little while. He gathers all the rebellious people on the planet earth, those who were born during the, during the millennial period but never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and they were pretenders, and, and they, they basically are deceived by Satan. They gather together, fight, and Jesus just comes down, and, he, and he's already here, and he deals with them. They're cast into the lake of fire yeah, excuse me, leaning back up. they're, they're killed because they're going to they're be raised back up here later on in verse 11 to 15. Satan now is cast into the lake of Fire. I mean, we're seeing a series of judgments there. Satan's judge, and thank God he was judged at the cross, but his, his, he's basically gone from, from county jail to the federal penitentiary in the Lake of Fire, if I can say that. And now we get. To the end of all things, and verses 11 to 15 are, is Judgment Day. The new heaven and new earth have not been created. What we read in, sec- in, in verses 11 to 15 is the second resurrection. I'll talk more about that in a minute. The second resurrection, the great white throne judgment, is the final judgment of all the unsaved, all the unsaved. It's a day of reckoning. If you read verse 11 very carefully, it's a day of judgment of every unsafe person face to face with Jesus Christ as judge and not savior. It is a day that every unsafe person will standing at the great white throne will regret that they're there. And let me just pause and say for everyone watching this evening, if you know someone not saved, and we all do, we ought to be thinking about the fact that for those dear precious people standing there, it'll be a day they will regret. It is a time when the facts of the sinner's rejection of Jesus Christ is completely laid bare. We talk about taking an onion and peeling the onion back. Let me tell you what is more than the onion being peeled back, amen? Everything's laid bare. And every sinner, unsafe person, is going to be found guilty on all charges. And here's the unique thing. They will be tried and condemned at the same time. That's pretty scary. In our penal system, our court system right now, you get tried, decisions made, verdict, they come to a verdict, and they appoint a day when you come back for the sentencing. Listen, the trial and the sentencing are all at the same time. It's judgment day. I want you to see four things tonight about this passage of scripture. Number one, I want you to see with me in verse 11 the fearful courtroom. It's a courtroom setting. Now unless you're a lawyer and you do it for a living, the majority of us want nothing to do with the courtroom, amen. Courtroom is not where you want to be, especially if you're the defendant. If you're the accused. It's a fearful courtroom. Why do you consider the site of this courtroom. Look at verse 11. He said, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. Would you notice this phrase? From whose faith. That now we know that's Jesus Christ. And I'll say something about that in a minute. But from whose face? Would you notice that the earth and the heaven fled away. Now I said this earlier. This is right before a new heaven, new earth. Second Peter two tells us. Or, excuse me. Second Peter three tells us a little bit about this new heaven, new earth, and as well as chapter twenty one. First of all, when we think about the site, where let's talk about where this is not. This is not on earth. The great white throne judgment is not on earth. I don't believe it's in heaven because the Bible says here, earth and heaven fled away from his face. I don't believe it's heaven for another reason because sinners are barred from coming into heaven. So we need to ask the question, if it's not in heaven, and on earth, where exactly it is, we don't know. It might be an appointed place that God will make at that time. Uh, John Wolver gives a little bit of, of insight, as I was reading a little bit there, and uh, Robert Gramacchi in his book, Are These the Last Days, quotes John Wolver as saying this. Now, I tried to find this from John and It's probably one of his books I haven't read, but he's got an extensive commentary in Revelation that's probably a very good one theologically for you to have to have research to because just about everybody refers back to John Wolver to something he's done on that, and I wouldn't take him exclusively, but he's, but he's like us. He's premillennial, pre-trib, and pre-trib what he does and his position there. But notice what he, but he made the statement there. He says, it will not happen in our present universe, either on earth or in the atmospheric, uh, stellar, or divine heavens. No planet in our solar system will qualify. It could take place somewhere beyond our universe that has not been affected by angelic sin. Then he made this statement, whether the assigned place actually exists today, it's hard to say. Now that's, that's a comment by, by John Wolverton, and I wouldn't take that as gospel, and that definitely is not inspired. Be careful of every commentator you read, because commentators will give their thoughts. Whatever a commentator says is not inspired. The only thing inspired is the Word of God. Always remind yourself that the only thing inspired is the Word of God. And God gives us enough in His Word, if, you, if you're a diligent student of the Word of God, He gives you enough to understand exactly where to go. And if, if He doesn't tell us, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, does it not? And if the secret things belong to God, if God has chosen not to show us, we don't need to worry about that because you know what? We've got 1,300 pages of a lot of other things we need to know about. Amen? So where is this place? We don't know, but I'll tell you right now, verse 11, the site is going to be an awesome place. I will tell you this, it'll be a holy place. We see a site, notice a seat. A great white throne. You do your word setting, the word great, every time you find the Bible, is the word "mega." It signifies the authority of the one who sits on it. It signifies the power of the one who sits on it. When we read here in verse 11, a great white throne, we see something very intimidating about this throne. It's great. There is no throne that ever was on planet Earth that compares to the throne of Jesus Christ. You know, and he says it's great, but he says it's white. And when you try to imagine in your mind the color white, it is so incredibly white. It it has never been stained. It scintillates in the glow of the sun. It represents purity and holiness. It represents truth. Absolute justice. It is so awesome. The earth, the heavens fled away, and it says there was found no place for them to hide. I remind you tonight this seat is not a throne of grace, it is a throne of justice, it is a throne of judgment. We see a sight. We see a seat. We see a sovereign. I wish I could tell you in verse 11, it's Jesus Christ sitting there as Savior. That work was finished and accomplished many years before. He's not sitting on that throne as Savior. He's sitting there as justice and judge and king. He's there to judge those who rejected him, who put off the plan of salvation and decided not to receive him. How do we know for sure that's Jesus Christ? Look at John chapter 5 with me. And I'm going to read verses 25 to 30 and highlight some things. John chapter 5 verses 25 to 30. Listen to what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and he said and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so, also, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Now that's... that's that's equivalent to what Daniel speaks about in Daniel chapter 12. And he says, and they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. Now Jesus in verse 29 represents to us the two resurrections. I spoke about the first resurrection last Sunday. The re- first resurrection represents all those who are saved. But the second resurrection refers to all those who are unsaved. And just so you know this in verse 29, when he talks about good, he's not talking about good works. He's talking about those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And you cannot escape that because all the Gospel of John deals with believing on Jesus Christ, your Savior. And he talked about those done evil. Do you know the most evil thing to do is to reject Jesus Christ, your Savior? Did you know that? If you're watching my stream, the most evil thing to do is to reject God's plan of salvation. That's evil. That's the apex of evil. Verse 30 says, And I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. That's who's sitting on this throne. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has set me. Acts seventeen twenty nine. Paul got up there in Mars Hill, and I've always imagined that great preacher of the gospel standing up there against a very hostile intellectual crowd, and he got up there and preached away, and he could see, feel the pushback. He could see the people folding their arms like this and looking at him with a jaundiced face, and they're looking at him like you know, you know, you need to step off your platform. And he made the statement. He said in Acts seventeen twenty nine, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By By that man whom he's appointed, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. You know, Paul said right there on Mars Hill, so that everyone would know that God has appointed today, that Jesus Christ will judge everyone for their sins. Now, he's the judge of every believer at the Bema seat. When we start, when before that great tribulation starts, listen, when we are raptured and the dead in Christ are raised, when we meet with the Lord in the air, the first thing is going to happen, that the Lord's going to have to take us to a purging process. We're going to have the judgment, the great white throne. We're going to have the Bema seat judgment. We're going to be judged for our works, 1 Corinthians 3. We've preached about it and looked at that. But there's going to be, he's preparing his bride for the marriage supper. There's a dispensement, the distribution of rewards. Now he's the judge at this latter time what's called the great white throne judgment. He's judge. He's sitting there on this great white throne as king and judge. It's a fearful courtroom. You know, attorneys, when they, when they get together and they're going to litigate a case, you can ask our lawyers this. They're very cognizant of who the judge is that's sitting at that seat. I promise you that litigators, they know what they need to know about that judge. They want to know his track record, they want to know his tendency, because that's going to shape how they're going to do their presentation, how they're, going to, how they're going to present the facts, how they're going to get the jury to believe what they're saying, or how they're going to persuade the judges if they're standing there to persuade them to understand. it. They want to know about their judge. And I'm telling you something tonight, everybody here, you know enough about scripture to know this. If you're not saved, the judge Jesus Christ, he is a righteous judge, and he is a holy judge, and he is a just judge. And listen, everything you need to know found in Holy Scripture and if you get to the point of your life you die without your sins forgiven because you never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior you ought to shake in your shoes and shake in your seat and knowing that you had every opportunity but you rejected him. We see a fearful courtroom. Notice in verses 12 to 13 we see a fetched company. There's a call up. They're fetched they're going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ a fetched company this is not a congregation that that is not a congregation there a congregation is a an assembly of people united for the purpose of worshiping god you cannot use the word congregation, congregation to say synonymously, this is a congregation. this is not, this is a fetched company. Would you notice some things about this company of people? The Bible says, I saw the dead. Can you imagine what, de- what he saw there? And I'm going to get ahead of myself for a minute, but I want you to understand what, what John saw here as we read this. He saw, he saw, he saw the two resurrections. He saw he saw physical bodies that were resurrected and he saw the souls of those that were in hell that were resurrected. I'll say more about that in a minute. He said, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. You said, wait a minute, Pastor. You said verse 11 with Jesus. Verse 12 says God. Listen, Jesus is God, Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. The Bible says later on, in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Now I want you to imagine, John just gave us a shortened description but beneath the surface, it's more extensive than that. He said, I saw the dead, small, and great stand before God. I'm not going to throw names out there because that would be a little bit presumptuous on my part. But who are these people? This is not an extensive list, but I'm going to tell you what, I, what description I see. Did you notice, I, first of all, he said, I see the dead, small, great. I think he sees the prosperous I think he sees the billionaires and the millionaires. I think he sees, I think he sees the people where money is their God. I think he sees the rich and the famous, the well-educated, the well-connected, the powerful, the political. I think he sees all those who would fall under the category of being prosperous. People who made their money on Wall Street. People who made their money in real estate. People who made their money in import-export. People who made their money through stock options. People who made their money through all those things, through their political connections and all those things. People who had so much time for making money but had no time for God. He sees the poor. He sees the poor who, in their situation and opportunity, pull themselves out of that, but they decided to stay in their condition and they blaspheme God and they curse God. They're not known. Their excuses, they're uneducated. Their excuses, they're unknown. Their excuses, they're ignorant. Their excuses that life was hard on them. Their excuses that they, they had a short change on life and nobody did them good. The poor. I think he sees the pagan. And I'm gonna tell you right now, tonight, our country, America, is a pagan country. We've got laws in the books that are not Bible-based. They're pagan, amen. They're pagan. The atheists, the evolutionists, the humanists. Even the agnostics, I'll throw them into that. The idol worshipers. Those who deny the existence of God, and I'm telling you right now, that list is growing faster than people are getting saved. I saw the dead, small and great. The prosperous, the poor, the pagan. I think he sees the pious. The pious. The religious people of the world. And we've got all our denominations. All our religious brandings and names. Those are the pious. They belong to religion. They are, they are self-righteous. They're so stuck on their church, and they believe their church is the way to heaven. They believe if they were born into a Christian family, that that, that saves them. Let me tell you tonight, you were born in a Christian family, that that doesn't save you. Look at John chapter 1, verse 13. I want you to go back there with me for a minute, because every now and then we have to look at this. John chapter 1, verse 13. In John chapter 1, he refutes this. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, here's what he says. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even in them that believe on his name. In verse 12, he qualifies how to get saved. He says, if unless you believe on the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't get saved. And he says, by the way, only Christ has the power to save you. No church has the power to save you. No, no, per, no man in the ministry has the power to save you. Listen, only Jesus Christ can save but he further qualifies in verse 13. He says, which were, which were born not of blood. Being born into a Christian family does not save you. Not of blood. Not of human Not of human, human uh, you know, descent. He says, nor of the will of the flesh, not of human deed, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. He says, listen, you can't get saved by good works. He he refutes all that in verse 13. He says, not by blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but he says salvation is of God. The pious. I believe when he saw the dead, small and great, he just didn't see the pagan, and he just didn't see the pious, and he just didn't see the poor, and he just didn't see the prosperous. I believe he also saw the pluralists. That everyone in our generation says, every road leads to heaven. No sir, no ma'am. Every road doesn't lead to heaven. There's only one road to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. I believe he saw the perverted. The abominable, the murderers, the criminal, the unnatural. I believe he sees the procrastinators in this. I believe he sees everybody that heard the gospel message and put it off for a more convenient season like here at Agrippa. Almost thou persuadest me. The procrastination. Listen, there are some people watching right now. You've put it off and put it off, put it off. You're going to stand in there if you keep putting it off. Now is the day of salvation. Now is accepted time. Not tomorrow. Now. I think he's going to see the pretenders at the throne. You make this profession that you're saved, but you're really not saved. Listen, if you don't have a desire to read God's Word, you don't have a desire to be in church, if you're continuously just kind of, well, we would, we would just say you're baptism, but you have no desire for the things of God, you don't hunger for thirst, hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'm going to tell you something. There's something suspect about your faith. If there's no fruit coming out of your life, there's something suspect about your faith according to the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, you might just very well be a pretender. You're in church for the purpose so you can politically get some power, so you can get a position, so you can influence people and manipulate people. Let me tell you, go somewhere else to manipulate, control people. What you need to do in church is get saved and live for Jesus Christ. Church is not a playground. Church is not politics. You want politics? Watch Fox News. We don't have time for that stuff in church. We can reassemble. Don't you start a Sunday school class and get involved with an AGG or some club meeting and come, down, come around somewhere and subvert my youth fellowship or subvert my, my college ministry or subvert my adult growth groups or subvert some ladies' Bible study. If you have plans for doing that, I have news for you. Go find another church. Because there's no subversive activities in the house of the living God. The pretenders. You may know all the jargon, you may say all the things, but listen, if you have no desire for the things of God, and you're hiding behind COVID-19, you're hiding behind some other excuse there, and you're not in the word of God, and it's been a long time since you've been convicted. I would dare to tell you, you're probably a pretender. You're like the Pharisees I was just reading about in Matthew chapter 23, had their long flowing robes and garments, and they had their phylacteries and everything going well, and they tied the mint and cumin and all those things, but listen, they weren't saved. Why did sepulchres full of dead men's bones and I'm going to tell you, if you were born in a Christian family, you're a second third generation Christian, and you're just going through the motions and carrying all these things because you feel very secure because mama and papa's religion is okay for you. But listen, if you just went through a prayer because you thought it was a good thing to do, it was cute to watch something in Sunday school, to watch an object lesson there, but you never repented, you never got truly born again, I would tell you tonight, you need to get born again into the kingdom of God. Go with me to chapter 21, look at verse 8. I'm just giving you a list of what I think he saw. I think including that list are those who never heard the gospel. I have a, was going to include this, but I don't have time, but there are degrees of judgment I believe that God will have in hell and the lake of fire. But I, I'm not going to preach it tonight. that tonight. That's a different message because I don't want to give somebody, some, some, somebody who thinks it's okay, then that means if there's degrees of judgment, I won't get it as best as somebody else. I don't even want you thinking that. The fact that if you wind up in hell or lake of fire, that's not where you want to be. I want you to read Revelation 21.8 because he goes on later on. I think God told him, hey, I want you to write this down because I want people to understand who's going to be in hell, who's going to be in the lake of fire. He said in ver- Revelation 21.8, but the fearful, I believe, the paranoid. Did you know there's some people, they're afraid of getting saved because they're afraid of what people say? Do you know there's some people afraid of getting saved because they're afraid of commitment? What in the world are you afraid about committing when Jesus Christ gave his life so you can go to heaven? The fearful. I believe there are those who have gotten to the place where they, they, their thoughts were captive by Satan. And they're, they've been overcome by a numerous other things, and their mind is a stronghold for Satan, and they refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they're the people which I call the fearful, because you know what they're fearing? They're fearing of dying every single day. They fear dying. They have suicidal thoughts. And the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers. You know who the sorcerers are? That's the word for pharmacy. That's the drug dealers. And idolaters and all liars, they shall have their part in the lake, which burned with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'm just saying today, this is a fetch company. You know who calls them up? Jesus Christ. They know who they are. He talked about the sea is going to give them up. Listen, there are those who bury bodies at sea, and there are those who are lost at sea. And you have groups like the Neptune Society, which they take people's cremated remains and they cast them out out there as their burial. You know what he's saying? There's nobody that's lost. God knows exactly where everybody's at. You're not lost in hell. You're not lost at sea. He's going to resurrect you and bring you back up here for this final judgment here. The second resurrection... We see this fearful courtroom, and we see this fetched company. Would you notice it gets a little deeper now? Notice thirdly, would you notice the fatal conviction? <laughs> and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Where's the evidence? It's in these books. It's not QuickBooks either, Amen. Books, plural. And he said, The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Later on in verse 13, and they were judged every man according to their works. The books were open. Does the Bible talk about the books? Yes and no. But I want you to see some verses with me. I'm going to give you some indication of that tonight. The books were open. I'm going to to give you some tonight. They're not any particular. I I think the first book that's going to be open is the Book of Secrets. The Book of Secrets. Listen to what the Bible says, Luke chapter 8, verse 17, For nothing is secret that should not be made manifest, neither anything hid that should not be known and come ab- uh, come abroad. Re- 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 Romans two sixteen. In the day that g- when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You look at right there in, J- in Romans two sixteen. He says, In that day, Jesus Christ will judge the secrets of men. Where are all, all those secrets being be written? I believe God has a book. He might have an angel right now that's recording every secret thing. You listen to me tonight. That means every secret deal, every secret Secret word, every secret, secret, secret thought that you've had, every secret relationship that you've had, every secret communication. Listen, you think you can hide an email? You think you can hide a text message? You think you can hide something on social media? You think you can embed it somewhere? Every secret thing will be judged by Jesus Christ at that moment. There's nothing hidden. The book of secrets. Can you imagine a lifetime of every secret that's been, that, that somebody's done in darkness thinking they can hide it from God? It's brought up to them through the, the, judge, the, 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 right, the great right throne judgment there. Every dark secret will be exposed and condemning that unsafe person. Hey, sinner, watch tonight. Do you realize your secrets will condemn you? That's why he's opening the books. The book of secrets, I think the book of law. It's not just the Jews who believe the law. You know, the laws, there are people who believe a law, some works-based process, is a standard for salvation. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans, Paul had to deal with that. In Romans 2:12 he says, "For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law." So if you think you can get into heaven without the law. You can still perish without law if you don't put your faith in Christ. And as many as have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. Then notice what he says in Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what he's going to judge you on. He may take out every commandment of the Bible, every gospel message you've heard, every time somebody got up and preached about, preached about obedience, or you heard about obedience uh, from a Bible study somewhere, he's going to bring those words back to haunt us. The law itself will incriminate the sinful imperfection of the unsaved, and the law itself will condemn. There's a book of conscience. There's a book of secrets. There's a book of works. Hey, there's a book of, book of law. There's a book of words. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 to 37. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy word shalt thou be justified, and by thy word thou shalt be condemned. Listen, every idle word will be judgment. That's pretty fearful. Every idle word. Your words will condemn you. Your secrets will condemn you. The law will condemn you. Hey, there's a book of works. Look what he talks about here. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. He says, Whose end shall be according to their works. Works will condemn. Works means everything we've done, whether good or bad. Good or bad. Every sinful deed and word shall be revealed every sinner will stand to the great right throne judge and realize at that moment in time their good works will not outweigh their evil works Where they're looking at a pair of balances and they, and they think well as long as it, it balances out and as long as the end I've got more good works than bad. listen none of this will work because you know what he's going to find out As he opens the book of works and you see every sinful thing you did every swear word that you made everything that you stole everything you did dishonestly everything you did around there you're going to find out one thing it doesn't matter how many good works you have because you know what there's not enough good works that will get you into heaven I believe there will be a book of conscience. I believe the conscience of every man being recorded there is every time his conscience was pricked and he decided not to go against, he decided to go against his conscience. And listen, the Bible describes some bad conscience. He talks about an evil conscience. He talks about a defiled conscience. He talks about a seared conscience. But listen to what he says here in Romans chapter two, verses 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing the witness and their thoughts, to the means, while accusing or else excusing one another. Now, either you're going to ignore your conscience, or you're going to harden your conscience. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a hardened conscience, it gets harder and harder and harder. That's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, today if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as they did in the day of provocation. Jesus taught his disciples, he said, I want you to go to these different cities there, and as you go there, if they don't receive your word, you shake the dust off your very feet, because they they rejected me, they didn't reject you, they didn't receive you, shake the dust off your feet, you shake it off your feet and move on. You know what, I wonder how many of God's choice servants, they've shaken the dust off their feet, and the dust will reappear at the great white throne judgment to accuse those people that they had a heart and conscience towards the word of God. There's a lot of books But the most feared book, which you notice this, is the book of life. When John wrote this, everybody in the first century had a cognizance of the book of life. Go with me back to Exodus chapter 32 very quickly. Exodus chapter 32. It's not in your notes. When Israel sinned by... Erecting this golden calf. God used Moses to deal with it. And then Moses was feeling a great heaviness because remember now, he had been in the presence of God for 40 days up there in that mountain. And Moses had something I need and you need. He had such a spirit of meekness for these people. I mean, there are 3 million of them that in most cases would, would probably stress you out to such a degree that you'd probably, you'd have to quit what you're doing because you couldn't deal with it. And you know what he did? He dealt with it by prayer. And you notice he tells them they sinned. In verse 31, he goes to prayer for them. Would you notice this prayer of Moses? And I want to draw something so you can understand the book of life for just a moment. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, all this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Notice what he says here. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... And if not, notice this phrase, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now Moses had a cognizance of this book of life. Everybody during that time leading up to the Revelation chapter 20 there, they had a cognizance about this book of life. Paul wrote about it there in Philippians chapter 4. He wrote to those wonderful friends he had at Philippi, and he says, and to those whose names are in the book of life. In those days, for many, many years, for them to to have an accurate account of who was there, they had a registry of everyone that was born in that city. That registry, they would put your name down in that registry so they knew exactly who you were. And in that city you were born, you were considered a citizen of that city. That's why when you read later on in Luke chapter 2, when Joseph and Mary, it says that, that there was a time when Herod did the tax. remember that? Actually, he was doing a census taking. Where did they go back? They had to go back to the city of their origin, the city of their birth, where their registry was at. And your name would stay in that registry, except you were found guilty of some heinous crime. The city elders could elect to blot your name out. And blotting your name out means you don't have an existence, you don't have an identity. You're a no man in no man's land. And I want you to understand something. If your name was blotted out, you couldn't buy, you couldn't sell, you couldn't go anywhere. Because they would. if they wanted to check a reference out, they found out your name was blotted out, they'll say, well, we have no record that he's been here. Now we go back to Revelation. You know what he's saying here? Every single person that's born in this world, every one of us starts the same. It's called the book of life. When you're born, you have life. When you have life, the breath of God is in you. We talked about that from Genesis 2:7 this morning. When you are born, you are your name goes into that book of life, and God's desire is that your name stays there. But if you reject Jesus Christ as Savior, can you imagine that there's going to be an entry made at the before as that person dies and leaves this place, their name is blotted out? Oh, you can you can take this opaque fluid, this white out, if you can imagine that, and his name is going to be blotted out, nowhere to be found. And what he's saying there, whosoever is not found we're in the book of life, who is Every single person that's been given up from death and hell, every single person that winds up there at the judgment seat at at the at the great white throne judgment, their names are nowhere to be found. So you have some knucklehead up there and head, that up there at, the, at the great white throne judgment who's trying to argue with God they deserve to be here. They're trying to prove their way. And God's going to say, okay, I've shown you through the book of secrets and I've shown you through the book of conscience and I've shown you through the book of the law and I've shown you through the book of the words and I've shown you through the book of works that you, that you are condemned and every one of these things condemn you. But I'm going to take one last book to show you. He says, let's go see if your name's in the book of life. And can you imagine the horror at that moment of time? Because this is the horror of horrors right there, the great white throne judgment, when that book is open and they go into the letter F, and they look for the last name of Fall, and the man's name is not there. And this is not a new revelation that John is given. In Revelation 13, 80, he said, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb from the, from the slain from the foundation of the world. He said in Revelation 17, 8, the beast that thou sawest and is not, and shall send out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall, shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of well, Look again here what he says in Revelation chapter 20. He says it, he says it here, the vinyl verse, whosoever was not found written in the book of life. The worst thing that could happen to you is to die in this life without Jesus Christ your Savior, and in that moment as you breathe your last breath, God blots your name out. It's obliterated. And someone said, well, let's let's try to correct it. Let's see if we can go underneath the not underneath the opac fluid. There's nothing you can un- you can un- undo. You can't undo it. He's blotted your name out. That's why Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. The last condemning evidence of being unsaved is the fact that a sinner's name is not found in the book of life. I want you to understand something. At that great white throne, every unsaved, unredeemed, unregenerate person is standing before Jesus Christ as their judge at that final condemnation. We see the fearful courtroom, the fetched copy, the fatal conviction as I just mentioned. Would you notice the final condemnation? We've seen a great white throne. We've seen Jesus Christ on that throne. And we've seen the second resurrection. And we've seen these books. But you notice the second death. Hell is not the final stopping point for a sinner. There's two deaths for every sinner. There's two deaths for every sinner. The first death is when the body ceases to exist. At the first death, our body is separated from the soul. The body goes into the grave. The soul either goes to heaven or the soul goes to hell. At the second death, the soul is separated for all of eternity from God. The body is united with the soul there at the great white throne and the body and soul of that unsaved person is separated forever from Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. The dead have been judged. There's been a fatal conviction. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And the verse 14 says, "In death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And just to make sure that people reading this understood the death and hell included all the unsaved, all the unredeemed, all the unregenerate, he goes on further and says in verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. One word underscores whosoever there. You know what that word is? Look at Revelation 21 and 8 again. Look at Revelation 21 8 again. One word underscores every one of those people there. It's the second word there. He says, But the fearful, and what's the next word? Unbelieving. They would not believe. A man once asked a pastor, Do you believe in hell? Pastor, do you believe in hell? Because you know what? Be very careful. This is a literal punishment. Literal torment. Outer darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're, they're in a liquid fire. He calls it a lake of fire. Breath, iron, brimstone. This man asks, and by the way, we do not believe in what, what some adhere to, what they call annihilation. Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh day Adventists, and even John Stott, who's a famous theologian, hold to, to the idea of annihilation when a person leaves his life. No, there is no annihilation, they're in an eternal torment. This is the final punishment. This is final condemnation. A man asked the pastor, do you believe in hell? If you do, tell me where it's at. And I like the pastor's response. The pastor said, hell is at the end of a Christless life. Hell is at the end of a Christless life. If you're going to reject Jesus Christ as Savior, that's the end of life. It's a Christless life. Being in hell, you're without Jesus Christ. There's no more time. There's no more room for mercy. There's no more place for grace. There's no more time for God to extend mercy and pity. It's gone. You are condemned forever and forever and forever and forever in this terrible place where the Bible says death and hell will be cast into a lake of fire. God doesn't want you to spend eternity there. God wants you to know when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, your sins were judged on his body when he died for you. He shed his blood and he died on the cross so that your sin debt could be paid in full. He became your acceptable substitution. He became the perfect sacrifice. All your sins were judged on him. Instead of you dying and going to hell and ultimately to the lake of fire, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, your sins can be forgiven, and guess what? You no longer have the penalty of sin any longer upon you. You can be saved tonight and escape condemnation. Here's how the Bible says in John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. And listen to this, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Believe. 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 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Believe. The great white throne judgment. Every unsaved person, Jesus Christ will call out and death and hell will give up their dead and the sea will and all that are in them. Wherever this great white throne will be, wherever it will be, is such, a, such an awesome, intimidating place. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall flee away from him. And God will open those books, and the dead will be judged out of those books. And he says, the culmination of that whosoever was not found written in the book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. Listen, there's a trial. There's a verdict, there's a condemnation all at the same time. All the sinners, all the unsaved throughout eternity, beginning with Cain, because Cain died an unregenerate man. And we can go on and on and on. We'll be at that great white throne judgment. I urge you tonight, don't be one who's going to stand at that great white throne and be found guilty and spend all of eternity in the lake of our God doesn't want you there. He set his love upon you and extends his arms of mercies to you right now to get saved. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to hear the tender voice of God calling to you. Jesus can be your Savior tonight. Would you call upon him? Would you acknowledge today and you come with a contrite heart And call upon Jesus Christ to save you from judgment. Let me just say this for every Christian tonight. The horror of the great white throne judgment should make you and I better soul winners. The horror of the great white throne judgment should make you a soul winner. The reality of the great white throne judgment should stir you that you never know the next time you give the gospel, that person rejects it. Is that the last time they'll ever hear the word of God? Years ago... I went to preach a missions conference way up in the up up past Sacramento. I, I took two men with me. One was a young man that I was trying to disciple, and, nourish, and nurture there, and I said, "Hey, why don't you come with me?" And Another brother, we're going up to. A, they're going He's come with me to preach a missions conference it was on a Sunday night. And just six months before that, six or seven months before that, I took him so winning, and we were out knocking some doors, and we came to this place. And actually, the day before, I knocked this door and talked to this young man that that just gave you a few minutes and, you you know, just there was an open door. And I told this young man. I said, "Now you might know him." I said, "I want you to come with me because because he, he went to the same high school you went with in, in, a, in another city." And I said, "Why don't you come with me?" And as we got the house, we saw the guy walking out the house. He's walking the house, and he had two cigarettes with him. He had one on one ear, one on the other. And my, my and and, and, the, and the young man said, "Hey, preacher, we better catch him right now because I know where he's going." I said, "Where's he going?" He said, "He's going to go play bingo right now." I can see it. He's got those two cigarettes. He's going to go. And I thought, "How do you know that?" You know. So, but anyway, he said, "We better catch him right now." So he ran up and said, "Hey." He said, "Hey, I know you," and he said, "Yeah, I know you too." And, and so he said, Hey, so we started talking there at the door. And the guy said, You guys want to come inside? He said, Hey, Pastor, good seeing you. I said, Yeah, I could see you too. He said, What are you doing back here, So soon? I, want you, I said, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And we sat down there and we were talking a little bit. And I brought back up the gospel conversation. And I stopped abruptly right in the middle and I said, Hey, brother, would you tell this man how, you, how, how Jesus changed your life? And the young man told him how Jesus saved him. And he, and he looked at him and he said, Hey, man, I remember you in high school, man. He said, You were messed up. I remember in high school, he said, he, said he, used some, he used some expletives I can't use here, of course. He used some expletives there. But he said, I, what got the you-know-what out of you? He said, what happened to you there? And the testimony of that young man being discipled, how he got out of a, a rap background and things, got a hold of that young man where I could not get to him that day. He took those two cigarettes, brother, off his ear. <laughs> he put them down on the coffee table. And I, and I just, you know, I was very, very up front with him. I said, man, you need to get saved right now. He said, you're right, preacher. And that young man and I there, he, he got saved. And that guy came back to church. He wanted to see our church. He came back with us to see the church. I mean, everybody was all fired up. I think some of you guys were on staff at the time. It was a really great time at that moment. But he struggled with just bad habits and things like that. I mean, he really got saved, but he really got saved. He struggled with some things, and plus he had a very strong Catholic family, and, and, and there was some influence there. Just a lot of things that were pulling against him. And we're going up to this, this, six months later, seven months later, we're going to this missions conference, and I still remember where we're at. We had just passed, and I forget Brother Irwin, we were passed Davis. I forgot the name of the city there, but there's a city we passed up there. And they have a cornfield, and I think people go there for a cornfield. I can't think of the name of the city there, but we, we passed it. And, and the phone rang for the, the young man that was in the back seat. We had the other church member next to me. And it rang, it rang and he took the call, and he started, and he started talking. And then um, after about 20, 30 minutes now, we're about to enter the city of Sacramento. He said, Pastor, do you know who called? I said, No. I said, but it sounded like your conversation is pretty intense. He says, and he mentioned the boy's name, the young man's name. He said, yeah, he got safe several months ago. He said, that was his brother who called me. His brother found my phone number in his cell phone and started calling people. He says, hey, I just want to let you know, my brother just passed away with a heart attack. He was 32 years old. He passed away with a heart attack. And the three of us in the car were kind of dead silent for a number of minutes there. And the young man in the back of the car said, Pastor, and he wasn't a man of many many words, but when he said something, you'd listen to him. He said, Pastor, I'm glad we went there that day and you got saved. And I said, I am too. Just seven months before, I'm done. Take Jesus as your Savior tonight. That's the bottom line of all this. Let him be your Savior and not your judge. I'm going to help you tonight. Christian friend, you ought to be burdening your soul right now for some sinner to get saved. And some saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, Jude said. If you're not saved, I'll give you the opportunity to watch my live stream tonight. You can call on Jesus Christ this evening to be your Savior, to know that you will not have to face Jesus as your judge at the great white throne judgment.